Are you ready? You know, I was going to divide the ending of chapter 11 into two more weeks, but as I read and read it again and read it again and read it again, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, where, where is it that you want to go with this? Um, I noticed that the last part that we are going to cover in chapter 11, some of it is repetitive. It pretty much elaborates what the first eight verses that we kind of focused on the first week, if you guys remember. So it might sound a bit repetitive as we go through some of these things, but God repeats things, remember, for a reason. Okay? God never repeats things because he feels like it. When God repeats something, it's to bring a bit more clarity on a topic that seems a bit confusing to a lot of people. Yet if we take the time and study scripture, we're going to see how clear scripture is. We're going to clarify scripture with scripture because that's the way you do things. Amen. It's not with my opinions. It's not with what I have studied, but we're going to take scripture back to scripture. Amen. Amen. So if you're watching live this morning, we want to welcome you to our Shabbat service. Uh, my name is Pastor Leo. We will be closing Leviticus 11 part three today. If you haven't watched the previous two weeks, please, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube page and watch those because there was a lot of good information. Um, a lot of things that we clarify again with scripture um, that we brought to light of things that have been taken out of context for so many years. People still have questions. Um, they just don't have the boldness to ask these questions, right? And um, I think, like I said, the first two weeks that we taught on Leviticus 11 brought a lot of clarity to this chapter specific. Um, I am excited to announce, even though my wife announced it on Thursday, got ahead of me, but um, <laughs> we have been introduced to three more podcasts and these are key because these are mainstream podcasts that a lot of people use. So as always, I'm going to go through all our podcasts. Um, I almost have just two pages on podcasts, but there we, go. <laughs> we will get through this. Amen. Before uh, half an hour before we actually get into the teaching, but that's fine. We'll get through the podcast. Um, we are on 9-11, but 14 different podcasts now. Uh, and that is Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Stitcher. Reason got renamed to Podvine. So if you don't hear me say Reason anymore, it's because they changed the name to Podvine recently. That's the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> um, the new ones are iHeartRadio. We are on iHeartRadio. We are on Amazon Music. Last but not least, we are on Audible. Wow. Audible is one of the main podcasts that are used for reading and Audible books and stuff like that. And so we have been, by the grace of God, been able to get into that podcast. I think that is huge. Um, iHeartRadio is huge. iHeartRadio is very huge too. I mean, all of these, man. I mean, some of these might not seem too familiar to us because we don't use them, but in other parts of the world, they are used more than you'd be surprised our heart radio or Amazon music or whatever it may be. So I do, you know, I like to announce all 14 because it depends wherever you find yourself. Um, you know, you can 
jump into one of these podcasts and listen to us audibly. Um, Manny, which is uh, the one that's in charge of, of the podcast, um, <clears throat> sent me a picture the other day of, of all the countries that have listened to us. And it was like, I think like 10 or 12 countries that have listened to us. And you'd be surprised, of course, US number one, but Germany is number two. Wow. We are famous in Germany. Yeshua is famous in Germany. iOS is being heard and God is being heard in Germany. And the truth of Torah is being heard in Germany. No idea how I sound in German, but we are in Germany. So that must be very interesting. I wish I could speak German. I would love to hear how I sound. Um, how, does, how does that happen? Like they translate for you? Yeah. So the podcast have it, just like if you go to YouTube. If you go to YouTube in our in our um, in our page or any page actually, and there is a little link on the bottom that if it's in a different language you can click translate and it will translate everything that's on that video as uh, to whatever language it is that you want to it had like um, two words cc and and right right under the closed caption is right there there's a little link you click on it and it translates that whatever video it is and into a different language yeah yeah so it's very neat uh um these podcasts also have that feature so but yeah so Yeshua is being heard in Germany. Praise God. Amen. Um, um, you can find us on these podcasts in One Spirit Miami. Also, if you're watching us live and you'd like to sow seed into this ministry, you believe what this ministry is teaching, uh, you can go into onespiritchurch.com and you can give your donation there. So I want to recap a little bit over the last two weeks because <clears throat> what we're going to pick up today, um, I don't want for us to forget what we've studied. And the truth of the matter is that when we study something, the second we leave from here, 90% of it, we forget. That's just scientifically proven. Um, so I want to touch key points over the last two weeks, which I think are very important, which will then lead us into what we're going to study on chapter 11 this morning. Amen. Amen. If you guys remember two weeks ago when I first opened chapter 11, I mentioned there was three different key points um, that that first section of scripture the first eight verses spoke about and we kind of set the foundation for the dietary laws and those three key points was the first one was that the dietary laws gave God's people the opportunity to demonstrate obedience to God that was huge people think these dietary laws are just a restriction they're not a restriction they show devotion to God there is no restriction with God God gives us freedom as a matter of fact scripture says if you are freed you are free indeed. It doesn't say that you are restricted indeed, right? So dietary laws are basically a branch of freedom of what God gives us with wisdom to how we should eat. He is looking for our best interest. When he tells us not to do something and you do it and something happens and it doesn't go the way you want it to go. Why did you do it? When God specifically told you not to do it, right? Then you want to say, well, God, why am I in this predicament? Well, I, God specifically said in his word, don't do it. Mm-hmm. If he says not to eat something and you eat it, and then all of a sudden you get a stomach pain, you feel sick or whatever it may be. Why did you eat it? Mm-hmm. 
God gave you specific instructions not to do it. Every time we go contrary to what scripture says, every time, every time we go contrary to what God says, there's always consequences to it. But we are so quick to justify ourselves and we are so quick to point the finger back at God. But if we just be obedient to what God institutes, we will be fine. So again, the first point is that the dietary laws gave God's people the opportunity to demonstrate obedience to God by following and obeying what God said it was clean for us to eat. Simple as that. It's not a problem of negotiations. How about if I just eat a couple of shrimps this week, you know? I'm jonesing for some shrimps, you know? And I just later on repent, I'm good. There's no negotiations with God. God says something is our job to trust and obey. Amen. Amen. The second point was the dietary laws separated God's people from their pagan neighbors. Not in a bad way. I mentioned this. It was not in a bad way or to seem superior to anyone else. That is not the point of this. The separation that God makes between his people and everyone else that doesn't believe in him, it's not to make you think that you're superior to anyone else. Yeshua, when he walked the earth, if we were to study his life, it almost seemed as he put himself inferior to everyone else, just speaking what God said to speak. That is it. He was mocked. He was brutal, crucified. He was abused and beaten. He was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. In an instant, he could have said, call the legion of, of angels to the earth and everybody would have been oblivious, gone. He didn't have to go through that. So the separation that God makes when we follow the dietary laws is not for us to think that we're superior to anyone else. Please don't misunderstand me. But instead, to truly define what sets apart really means. is to define what truly set apart really means. That when you behave a certain way, when you act a certain way, when you do certain things that are biblical, people have questions. Why do you do them that way? Where in scripture is that? And then he gives us the opportunity to take everyone back to scripture. That's what set apart is. To behave in a way or in a matter that is contrary to the way the world behaves. That's what set apart is. Setting apart is not knowing that you're set apart, but then you mingle yourself with everyone else and you're just like everyone else. There is no separation there. Amen? So that's the second point. The third point was that the dietary laws helped protect the health of God's people. Remember, we spoke about this. A lot of the foods that it's unclean, that we've loved to eat for so many years, are an issue when it comes to our health. A lot of the health issues that people have is because they eat the wrong thing. Remember I mentioned, what is the first thing when you go see a doctor or a dietitian? What is the first question they ask you? What are you eating? That is the first question they ask you. You go see a doctor because you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure. What are you eating? And based on what you tell them, they give you a couple of pills and go home and call it a day. But if we only obey what God says to obey, we wouldn't have half of those issues wouldn't deal with half of the health issues that we have. So again, the dietary laws help protect the health of God's people. God cared and cares for the condition of his 
temple just as we should. Temple being us. Amen? Amen. Also, last week we brought clarity to about two scriptures that my wife spoke about that have been taken out of context to support that we have freedom to eat pretty much whatever we want. But that will bring contradiction to scripture. That would not, again, be able to call us set apart if we eat what everybody else eats. If we sit at the table and eat the same thing that God calls unclean, like everyone else, the second key point will go right out the window. The third point of his health, the health issues will go right out the window too. So those two scriptures were Acts 10, verse 9 through 16, which is the vision of Peter, which now we know that the vision had nothing to do with what? Food. It had nothing to do with food. But people read into it and don't bother to study it to see what God was trying to show Peter. And I love the way my wife broke it down and read afterwards and showed exactly why God showed Peter the vision the way he did. It wasn't about food. It was about people that were coming, that were on the way. And God needed to prepare Peter for it. So that was Acts 10. And the second one was 1 Timothy chapter 4. Which now we know that it does not nullify Leviticus 11. As a matter of fact, it supports it. Yes, it does. But when you take scripture out of context, this is what happens. The body of Messiah is confused. The church is confused. And pastors are preaching the wrong thing. Some of them... Some of them know. knowing mm -hmm. what's right and what's wrong. Right. Still teaching the wrong things. Still teaching the wrong things. It almost seems that there's no reverence or no fear of God whatsoever. How you can stand here in a pulpit and basically lie to a congregation. Mm -hmm. Just to suit your personal needs. Just so you won't have half of the church get up and leave out the front door because now you're teaching truth. But as we know, the blood of the sheep are in the hands of the pastor. And one day, they'll have to give a comfort. Mm -hmm. So to support and summarize these two scriptures, Acts and 1 Timothy, we will go back into scripture and see what it says about the very people that distort the word of God. Because I read this and it blew my mind. Maybe you've read this before, maybe not. Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter. So remember, I just spoke about the vision of Peter and 1 Timothy. But look what 2 Peter says in chapter 2. This is mind-blowing. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 2 the heading of my Bible, I have the TLV, says false teachers condemned. Mm -hmm. It starts by that. Mm -hmm. When it starts by that, beware. It says, we're going to read the whole chapter. I promise I'll go through it fast. But false prophets also are among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will even deny the master who brought them. 
bringing swift destruction upon themselves, many will follow their immoral ways. As a result, the way of the truth will be malign, or will be pretty much discarded. And their greed, because that's exactly what it is, in their greed, they will exploit with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For God does not spare angels when they sin, but threw them into Sheol. He put them in chains of gloomy darkness to be held until the judgment. He did not spare the ancient world. He preserved only Noah, a proclaimer of righteousness, along with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He devastated the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing them to ashes, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He rescued Lot, a righteous man, deeply troubled by the shameless immorality of the wicked. For the righteous man, while living among them, was tormented in his righteous soul day after day by lawless deeds he saw and heard. Verse 9. Therefore, the Lord certainly knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous being punished until the day of judgment. Especially those who follow after the flesh in its unclean desires and who despise the Lord's authority. Brazen and arrogant, these people do not tremble while slandering glorious beings, yet even angels, thought stronger and more powerful, do not bring a slander charge against them before the Lord. But these people are like irrational animals. Look how God refers to these people. The ungodly, of course, the unrighteous. These people are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be captured and killed. They malign or malign what they don't understand, and in their destruction, they will be utterly destroyed. They will be paid back for what they have done, evil for evil. They consider carousing in broad daylight a pleasure. Their blots and blemishes revealing in their deceitful pleasures while feasting together with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop sinning, enticing unstable souls. They have, heard, they have hearts trained in greed, a cursed brood. They have abandoned the straight way. Oh, wow. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he received a rebuke for his own wrongdoing. A dumb donkey spoke with a man's voice and put a stop to the prophet's madness. These people that I've been reading about for the last 16 verses, these people are springs without water and midst driven by a storm. The gloom of utter darkness have been reserved for them. For by mouthing glandosities that amount to nothing, they are enticed in sensual fleshly passions, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaved of corruption. This is what people are doing when they stand up here and teach the word of God wrong, knowing the truth. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
For a person is a slave to whatever has overcome him. For if after escaping the world's pollutions through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, they again become entangled in these things and are overcome, the end for them has become worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after learning about it to turn back from the holy commandment passed on to them. What has happened to them confirms the truth of the proverb. A dog returns to his vomit, and a scrubbed pig heads right back into the mud. This is a bit hard, but this is what happened when scripture is taken out of context and is taught in a manner to teach people freedom, to teach people righteousness. When in reality, the person that's teaching is full of corruption and what you're actually teaching from the pulpit is corruption. You're keeping the sheep of God blinded. The problem is that people that stand in the pulpit think that the sheep belong to them. Well, Pastor Wayne, that only speaks about the people teaching contrary against the law. Correct. That was the first point I wanted to make. The people that are teaching incorrectly. The people that are taking scripture out of context. The second is that neither does the new covenant, as modern Christianity, likes to teach. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews 8.6. Because you say, well, the new covenant has different promises, different laws. Well, let's see what scripture says. Not what I say. And we find this in none other than, of course, the New, the New Testament. Hebrews 8, 6. Hebrews 8, 6 says, but now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry. And so far as he is the mediator of a better covenant. Let's read scripture for what scripture says. Remember, we just read 2 Peter that spoke about what these false teachers would, are doing and what would happen to them. And people like to say, well, the new covenant has better promises, has different laws and this and that. But let's actually read what scripture says. And this again, this is in Hebrew, which is in the New Testament. But now Joshua has obtained a more excellent ministry. And so far, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has better enacted on better promises. Yes, they are better promises, but the same law. Come on. Nowhere in scripture does it say better promises and a new law. Otherwise, the new covenant, which we know that is with the who? The house of Israel, would not apply. That's why it says, yes, there are better promises when Messiah comes, or in, in, in here in the New Testament, but the same law applies. Because he lived out that law. Did he come to abolish it? 
but to fulfill, to put into practice what was instituted because the law that was written at the beginning was by him. Because him, God, and the Spirit are one. So if he spoke the law into existence, why would he abolish the law later on? That will make a God that we serve inconsistent. And we don't serve an inconsistent God. Scripture is very clear that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is consistency, not inconsistent. So we see in Hebrews that what was spoken in Leviticus still applies today. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to blow your mind later on as we go through this teaching. In the New Testament, by the way. So again, we see the first part is that Peter speaks about these people that are teaching wrong doctrine, people that are teaching false doctrines, people that are taking scripture out of context to feed and their fleshly desires. And now we see in Hebrews in the New Testament that yes, there is better promises, but the same law applies. There is no new law. Amen. All Yahweh did with the new covenant was add and give better promises, but not a better or different law. So good. Amen. So good. And is the key word. Yeah. And is the key word. And not a better law is the other key word. Same law applies. But yes, better promises were given. Amen. Now let's go back into Leviticus. And let's pick up on verse 9. A long way to go in Leviticus. I pray you're not in a hurry. It is Shabbat. You should not put a time limit on God. I hope you didn't make any plans to be anywhere at 4 o'clock because we'll still be here. <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding. I was serious. Uh -huh. Leviticus 11, verse 9. We're going to read down to verse 12. It says, From all that are in the waters. Remember, first week we touched about the animals on land. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, <clears throat> we're going to touch about the animals that are in the water. Remember, we spoke about there was three different spheres. Land, water, and air. So we touched land. Today we're going to touch water and air. We'll finish chapter 11 today. From all that are in the waters, you may eat whatever has fins and scales within the waters, in the seas and in the rivers. Those you may eat. But any that do not have fins and scales in the seas or the rivers among those that swarm on the waters or among any of the living creatures that are in the waters that are loathsome to you, they are to be detestable to you. You shall not eat the meat from them, and you shall detest their carcasses. Whatever has neither fins nor scales in the waters, that is a detestable thing to you. So we see just as the animals on land had instructions on what was clean and what was not clean, those in the waters, whether fresh water in the rivers, or regular salt water in the oceans, those also had instructions. And what were the two instructions? It had to have fins, and the second one had to have 
scales. Very simple. Like I like to tell my kids. Very simple. <laughs> That's it. Those are the two instructions that God speaks in the animals of the sea. It had to have fins and it had to have scales. Is there a negotiating point there? No. God was very clear. It had to have fins and it had to have scales. So guess what is considered unclean and excluded and detestable? Shrimps. <laughs> Lobster. Crab. Only for the Lord. Oysters. Clams. Octopus. <laughs> if it don't got fins and it don't got scales, it's unclean and it's detestable. You have been made aware. What do you think everybody's on vacation this weekend? Why do you think everybody's on vacation this weekend? They knew we were going to touch the ocean part. It ain't about 4th of July. Half of them don't even know what 4th of July stands for. But they knew that from verse 9 to verse 12, Pastor was going to talk about shrimps, lobster, crab and all these other things that I love to eat. I'm like, if I'm not present, I didn't hear it. You're <laughs> not even watching online. Look at <laughs> God can hold me accountable. I don't know it. Oh, I skipped that, that part of chapter 11. <laughs> Again, making the dietary laws simple and straightforward. <laughs> Making the dietary laws simple and straightforward. The animals on land, what? Needed to chew the cud and have a split hoof. The ones in the water needed to have scales and needed to have fins. Very simple. It's not complicated, guys. But we like to complicate things. You know why? Because of the flesh. How about if I catch a fish and I got a bunch of shrimp and I get the fins of the fish and the scales of the fish and I just happen to throw them in there. Would that justify my shrimp? It has scales and it has fins. Negotiations. We complicate things. But God is very straightforward. It needed to have fins and it needed to have scales. So we can't use the shrimp to fish? Because the fish is going to eat it and then we're going to eat the fish. <laughs> actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, we're actually going to touch something on that in, a, in later on. Uh, that we're actually, a lot of things are going to, if those for us that are fishermen are going to have to change our bait. Oh, oh. why are we looking at you? <laughs> <laughs> Just, just an FYI, for those of us that are fishermen, we might have to change our bait. We'll, we'll get to that later on. 
So scripture says, I'm, it's not what I see. I'll take you back to scripture. <clears throat> Did you know, and this is going to catch you by surprise. Listen to what I'm about to say. Did you know that there is evidence, concrete evidence, facts, that shows both Egyptians and Romans avoided fish without scales? Wait a second. Egyptians? Romans? The very same people that wanted to get rid of, of the Israelites? The very same people that crucified Messiah? The very same people that held bondage the Israelites for so many years? That kept them, that kept them in slavery? These very same people, the Egyptians and the Romans, both avoided fish without scales. You know why? Because they regarded them as scavengers. Wow. Since most roamed the bottom of the sea. Wow. Not only that, it gets better. <laughs> the Egyptians and the Romans avoided these, these fish because not only were they considered scavengers, but these fish that didn't have scales were also carriers of numerous parasites. These fish that had no scales were had numerous parasites. They carry these parasites. But yet we don't want to follow the dietary laws. I want to eat whatever I want. I don't care if it has scales, fins, or whatever it is. Bring it on. I'll eat it. Then later on when I'm sitting in a hospital bed, man, I shouldn't have eaten that. Might be too late. So the very same Romans and Egyptians both avoided fish without scales because they carried numerous parasites. Under these dietary laws, of course, all shellfish is unclean. All shellfish is unclean and is considered an abomination and a detestable thing to the Lord. Therefore, it should be an abomination and a detestable thing to us. Yeah. Amen. 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 I wanted to see who would say amen on that one. Because when you say shellfish, and you say amen. Amen. Might get one person. Those are the ones that are still struggling. Again, that's why a lot of people are on vacation this weekend. Yo me voy. I want to escape church today. The word detestable in Hebrew is the word shiketz. It's something that is considered by God really, 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 really bad. It's not just something that's bad, but it's extremely bad. Similar to the way God views sin. That's how much these things that God considers unclean mean to him. They are shikets. They are extremely bad. And you say, well, why did God create these things? He created them with a purpose. Not for you to eat them. That was not the purpose. They were there to clean the earth. They were there to do other purposes. It was not their purpose to be eaten by us. Yeah. 
They serve a purpose. You know, sometimes I ask God, I say, why mosquitoes? Why did you create mosquitoes? I can't stand them. What's the purpose? All they do is bite me and suck the blood out of me. Well, guess what? There's a purpose for mosquitoes. One day when I get up there, I'll ask God and he'll tell me why he created mosquitoes. For the time being, I don't understand why. I just, every time I see one, I just swat it. Or frogs. Oh, Lord. By the way, frogs are unclean. Oh yeah, definitely. So if you like frog legs, mm -mm. it's not chicken. They might smell like, they might taste like chicken, but not anymore. <laughs> yes, it's white meat, but it's bad white meat. <laughs> Frogs are unclean. Okay, they are a detestable thing to God. They're an abomination to God. So therefore. We should have a similar view on these things. Amen? Amen. 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 I hope if you're watching live, you're enjoying yourself as well as we are. We are. This is a topic that is very hard to go and explain, but I'm going to take everything back to Scripture, and you will see how we clarify everything in Scripture. What about topics? Dolphin fingers. Dolphin fingers? Okay, dolphin fingers come from the fish mahi. Oh, okay. And mahi does have scales and have fins. Not dolphin, the actual animal. <laughs> <laughs> you don't eat that animal. You don't eat that one. Well, we'll go ahead and omit that part of the <laughs> And we'll pick up back now in verse 13. And we're going to read from 13 to 23. Oh, boy. These are the things that I deal with at home. <laughs> Among the birds, you shall... Okay, so we spoke on the land. We spoke on the water. Now we're going to speak on the sphere of the air. It says, Among the birds, you shall detest. Notice the way the words that God uses to begin this, this part of Scripture. Among the birds, you shall detest the following. They are not to be eaten. They are loathsome, the eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kites, any kind of raven, the horn owl, the screech owl, the gull, and any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. Yes, bat were considered a bird by the Hebrews. I know it's not a bird, but it was considered a bird. All flying insects that walk on all four are detestable to you. You may eat from all wing creeping things that go on all four, which have legs above their feet, with which to hop on the earth. You may eat from any kind of locust, any kind of catadin, any kind of cricket, and any kind of grasshopper. But all wing creeping things that have four feet are loathsome to you. Did you notice the way this part of scripture started? The previous two parts, when God spoke about the land and he spoke about the waters, he began to describe first the animals. Then he went into the part that was detestable. Here, in this part, the sphere of the air, God does it backward. He immediately says these things are detestable to you these are the things that should jump out at us and 
we should have questions why. And there is no definitive answer, but my opinion is that by now, God is hoping that you understood what's clean. But those that struggle with what's unclean, God here kind of flips the script and says, you know what, I'm going to start with what's detestable and hopefully catch your attention right off the bat. These are the things that you should not eat. And I mean, some of these birds in there, if you eat this thing or you've eaten this in the past, I take my hat off to you. I will never eat a vulture. Those are the most disgusting animals I've never seen in my entire life. They eat rotten food and they enjoy it. So we see that God begins this part of scripture with, saying, with describing what is detestable instead of describing what is clean. Now, some similarities these birds have is that they're either predators or scavengers. Eating anything that comes their way, even dead carcasses like the vultures do. Therefore, making them unclean or detestable to God. Right? You ever seen on the side of the road when there's a what we call roadkill? Mm -hmm. And you see the vultures having a an eating frenzy? Mm -hmm. It's like 15 or 20 of them just gathering. They're like, yeah, when is that meat gonna rot? Well, wait till then. Oh my they don't eat the animal fresh. They wait literally until that meat rots to begin to puck at it. But if you think about it, that's a purpose. You don't want that meat around. So yeah, that is so true. Again, they have a purpose. Everything has a purpose. And the purpose of these things, these things that are unclean is not for you to eat them. Now, that being said, of these similarities of these birds, I do want to make clear that through Scripture, it doesn't necessarily say that because of those similarities, these birds are unclean. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture there that because of these similarities, because they're scavengers and they're predators, makes the bird clean or these birds clean. Simply, these are unclean because God said so. That's it. Simple as that. I'll even give you an example. Did you know chickens, which are considered a bird, are clean animals? Thank you. <laughs> but, 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 did you know that chickens eat pretty much anything they see? Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. But yet, chickens are considered clean by God. <laughs> I hope that doesn't come out of here. <laughs> So again, we see that the similarities in these birds doesn't necessarily mean that because of those things, these birds are unclean. They are unclean simply because God said so. So again, this is where we need to be cautious not to label any of these animals just because of similarities. That is the first mistake people do and take scripture out of context. Well, there's a similarity between these birds and therefore that makes them unclean. Mm. No, that's not what scripture says. There might be a similarity if you study these birds that they're scavengers and they're predators, but nowhere in that part of scripture that we read it says that because of these similarities, these birds are unclean. No, God simply says these birds are unclean and you're not to eat them. 
The same way he says, shellfish is unclean and you're not to eat them. The same way he says, pig is unclean and you're not to eat it. That's it. There, even though we might find similarities, that does not mean that because of those things, these animals are unclean. They're unclean because God said so, and that settles that. Amen. So let's not try to justify things. This is where we get into trouble. This is where we find, well, you know, the chicken is a lot dirtier than some of these birds you just mentioned, but yet we eat chicken, so therefore I can eat a hawk. No, it says there, any kind of hawk is unclean. So do not eat a hawk. It's unclean because God said so. Don't justify it because of similarity. This is taking scripture out of context. From verse 20 to 23, insects are even covered. And you might ask yourself, insects? Yes. In parts of the world, insects are a delicacy. I watch a lot of shows on TV about eating and stuff like this. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I watch these two guys that just, they travel the world and they just eat different foods from different countries. And I've seen shows uh, out in Bangkok and, and over there in Asian countries and stuff like that, some European countries where insects are a delicacy and they make them all sorts of different ways. You'd be surprised how many ways a grasshopper can be fried. And you might say, grasshopper, ew. I'll give you some fun facts about grasshopper. And I wish Gab Gabby was here or if you watch this later. Grasshoppers not only have a higher protein content of 72% over beef. Okay? They have a higher protein content of 72% over beef. But they also have essential amino acids. Grasshoppers have also essential amino acids. Not only that, they don't have saturated fat that you got to deal with, and they don't have cholesterol that you have to deal with, which both of these are bad for you. Making grasshoppers an actual better piece of quote unquote meat to eat than a pair of, than a, a, a piece of steak. There's actually more protein content in one grasshopper than a ribeye steak. It's cheaper, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it's cheaper. <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> and they're clean. <laughs> and they're clean to eat, by the way. So crickets? crickets and grasshoppers are clean to eat. According to scripture. That's what it says. So look at all the properties that grasshoppers have and people say, oh, that's disgusting, insects. Well, guess what? In some parts of the world, they might view what you and I eat as disgusting. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Right? God created certain animals for certain places and certain foods for certain places. But this specific food is clean. So, fun facts. Grasshopper have a higher protein content over beef. And grasshopper was actually a good food in the Bible. And I'm going to prove it to you. Guess where I'm going to? The Torah. No. The New Testament. 
Matthew 3, 4. If we're going to prove it, we're going to prove it in the New Testament because the law has changed, the law is done away with, and it's abolished, but let's see what the New Testament says about this. Matthew 3, 4. Matthew 3, verse 4. Now John wore clothing, John the Baptist, wore clothing from camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust with honey. Locust is a type of grasshopper. Locust is a type of cricket. So we see John, which is spoken about in the New Testament, said that his food was locust and wild honey. Wow. Maybe you would dip it in the honey. You could dip it wherever you want. You could dip it on sriracha. You could dip it on whatever you want. It is clean food. If you like spicy food, dip it on sriracha. If you like it sweet, dip it on honey. I think you just eat it and then add whatever onto it for taste. John. John referred. John referred to as wild honey. That was his choice. But we see here in scripture, in Matthew, that John food, his food, it says here, and his food was locust and wild honey. So we see what God institutes in Leviticus 11. It's now spoken about and continue to be followed in the New Testament. So how is Leviticus 11 not applicable? When John himself, the one that paved the way for Messiah, was eating locusts with wild honey. But we take scripture out of context. Or we just do away with. I saw a picture, somebody posted yesterday in one of the threads, that the Holy Bible now starts in Matthew. The Holy Bible starts in Matthew. That's it. Everything prior to that doesn't exist. And it's called the Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was in a hospital. Lord have mercy. So does God know what he's talking about when he considers things clean and unclean? Absolutely. Will I eat insects? Absolutely not. Unless cows run out. (laughs) I like to try new things, but I have a limit on trying new things. So unless we run out of cows, I will not be eating grasshoppers anytime soon. Bees, I believe, are considered unclean according to the description of Leviticus 11. Anything that has four legs is considered unclean. Maybe we have something we can look into a little bit more. Could be. That's the purpose. Just for the if you like it. But isn't it because it's taken from the flowers? The nectar? So we, we, can look, we can look into that. You like eating bees? I've never heard of anybody eating bees, but I think. If that's what you like, go. If that's what you like, go for it. 
No, she wants to try every animal. <laughs> every animal that exists that now says I'm limited to this, I gotta try something new. <laughs> so all these land animals, sea animals, and birds that are considered clean and unclean are simply because God said so. Amen. Yet people continue to disobey God. Why? Because man said so. God considers something clean. God considers something unclean. But people disobey because the person that's standing up here teaches otherwise. Yeah. So if man says that pig and bacon and all the pork chops because the vision that Peter was given that says he could eat anything, it's freedom, then go ahead and eat all the pig you want. So the question is, who are we following? Are we following what God says is clean and unclean? Or are we following what man says that's clean and unclean? Because everything we've studied this morning, even though we're having a good time, has been backed up by Scripture. Everything that's here in Scripture, we've backed it up with Scripture itself. I haven't said anything of my opinion. Everything has been backed up by Scripture. I even proved it to you in the New Testament. That John the Baptist followed the dietary laws. Another argument that people have is, wait, Pastor, but um, Joshua argued with Pharisees all the time about food. Joshua argued with the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the oral law of Torah, not actual Torah. And there's a difference between the two. Yeah. The Pharisees and Sadducees added things to the Torah to suit them and make it almost next to impossible for a Gentile to come and convert and come and enjoy the freedom that they have in Messiah. Amen. The rituals of washing hands, of not eating in the presence of Gentiles, those things are not spoken in Scripture. Those were added. So it is created, so it became what is known as the oral law, not Torah. So when Yeshua argued with them, he argued about their rituals, about their things that were contrary to what he himself had written in the Torah. That's, right. that's another topic for another day. Yeah, that's a good one there. But Yeshua <laughs> argued because of the rituals and the things that the Pharisees and Sadducees were adding onto Scripture. And today you and I argue with Christianity and with Christians who take away yeah. from Scripture. So Messiah argued back then with them. Well, they were adding you and I today argue with what's taken out. It's almost we're in the same predicament. Both are wrong. Because yep. scripture is very clear yep. about adding and removing. Yeah. And he mentions both again. Yeah, he mentions both. That's crazy. Wow. So what Yeshua argued wasn't about what said it's here in Leviticus 11. He argued about the rituals and the things that they were adding just to make it complicated. Almost like what Christianity does today of negotiating. <clears throat> right? Just to justify whatever they're eating. Taking scripture out of context. And we'll begin to close with this last section of scripture. We're going to read a long part now from verse 24 to 47. Actually, before I go any further. These first 23 verses there in Leviticus conclude... The dietary laws. 
That's it. Half of chapter 11 concludes the dietary laws. Everything we're going to read from here from 24 to 47 is just a little bit repetition and an elaboration by God from what we already have read. But these first 23 verses conclude the dietary laws. So why is this topic so complicated? Why is this something that's taken out of context and being taught the wrong way? When it's something that's made so simple by God. Again, it's to feed our selfly and fleshly desires that we have for things that we have tasted and grown a taste for. And where did that take Adam and Eve? And sin. They acquired a taste, and the taste led them to sin. So be careful next time you acquire a taste of something because it can lead you down the wrong path. Let's go back to scripture, 24. It says, moreover, by these also you will become unclean, whoever touches their carcasses. This is where we're going to be touching the part of what I mentioned earlier about some of us needing to rearrange some of the things that we touch, that we deal with. Because now, remember, we've touched this before, uncleanness can actually be transferred. I've said this before. We studied this before. Uncleanness can actually be transferred. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. Whoever carries any part of their carcasses is to wash his clothes and will be unclean until the evening. Every animal with a separating hoof but not split or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them will be unclean. So whatever moves on its paws among all animals that go on all fours is unclean to you. Dogs, cats, paws, rabbits, paws, unclean. Can eat them. They can serve as pets, but you cannot eat them. Even though they're unclean, you may touch them, but if they're dead, mm -mm. read in scripture. Let not this go over your head, please. Very, very important. And I'll give you an example in a, in a second. Every animal with a separating hoof, but not split, and does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them will become unclean. So whatever moves on its paws among all animals that go on all four is unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean until the evening. Whoever carries their carcasses is to wash his clothes and will be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. Verse 29. Among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the following are unclean to you. The weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the skink and the chameleon. Among all that that creep, these are the ones that are unclean to you. Whoever touches them, when they are dead, they will be unclean until the evening. By the way, alligator is unclean. It's considered a lizard. So if you like to eat gator, yes, the other white meat. It's unclean. You cannot eat it. Uh, whoever touches them will 
their dead, they will be unclean until the evening. Verse 32, whatever falls on them, please pay attention. Whatever falls on them when they are dead will become unclean. Whether it's any vessel or of wood or clothing or skin or sackcloth, whatever vessel it is with which any work is done, it must be put into water and it will be unclean until the evening. Then it will be clean. Verse 33. Now if all them fall into a clay pot, everything that is in it will become unclean and you are to break it. Any food that may be eaten but has water on it from such a pot will become unclean. Also, any drink that may be drunk in any such pot will become unclean. Everything on which part of their carcass falls will become unclean. An oven or stove for pots is to be broken in pieces. They are unclean and will be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern for collecting water will be clean, though anyone who touches their carcass will become unclean. If a part of a carcass falls on any seed for sowing that yet that has yet to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and part of the carcass falls in it, it is unclean. See the difference between the two. If any animal that you may eat dies, the one who touches his carcass will become unclean until the evening. He who eats of his carcass is to wash his clothes and, and be unclean until the evening. Also, the one who carries his carcass is to wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Verse 41. Every creeping thing that crawls on the earth is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever moves on his belly or crawls on all four or has many feet among all the creeping things that crawl on the earth, these you are not to eat for they are detestable. If it moves on his belly or crawls on all four and has many feet among all the creeping things that crawl on the earth, these you are not to eat. They are detestable. Therefore, snake, detestable. Even though some people might like to eat snake. You are not to contaminate. Listen to this, what says in this part of Scripture, verse 43. You are not to contaminate yourselves with any creeping thing that crawls, nor make yourselves unclean with them or defiled by them. For I am Adonai your God. Therefore sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. You are not to defile yourselves with any kind of creeping thing that moves on the earth. For I am Adonai who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall be holy for I am holy. Amen. Verse 46. This is the Torah of the animal, the bird, and every living creature that moves in the waters, and every creature that creeps on the earth. To make a distinction, a set apart, a division, a separation between the unclean and the clean. And between the living thing that may be eaten and the living thing that may not be eaten. That is as clear as it gets. I mean, more description than that, I don't think we need. The problem is, people don't want to read. Or when they read, they don't understand, they take it out of context. Therefore, 
we do whatever we want with it. I don't understand it. Well, we're going to break it that down. Because we saw what God's instructions were for the land animals. We saw the instructions were for the sea animal. And we saw the instructions for the air. We even saw instructions for insects. Here from verse 24 to verse 47, God just elaborates a little bit more. and gives a little bit more description, not only of what is detestable, but now how this uncleanness can actually be transferred. Because we've mentioned before that uncleanness can be transferred by touch, by carrying. It says it here. So right off the bat, there are two types of contacts and also a containing type of contact that is spoken on these verses that we just read. The first one is touching. On verse 24, it says that, by also you will become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. If an animal is considered unclean and is dead and you touch it, you're considered unclean. This is what I was talking about for, us, for, for those that, that are fishermen. Shrimps are considered unclean. If you grab a dead shrimp and you touch it and you put it at the end of your hook, you have just made yourself unclean because of touching. That's scripture. It's funny how some people can't even smell it. They're allergic to it sometimes. Some people are allergic to shellfish and they blow up. But those of us that are not allergic to shellfish, and say, well, you know what? I can't eat it, but I can at least touch it. I wonder if people are allergic to clean animals. It's not common, no. Huh? It's, it's not, not common. common. There are okay. people, a lot of people are allergic to unclean, unclean. animals. It's incredible. So, for those of us that are fishermen, if we grab a shrimp, if we grab the tail of a lobster, whatever we want to fish with, if we grab squid, or octopus to fish with that is unclean and they are dead dead is the key word oh, gotcha. dead is a key word yes. don't take scripture out of context let me get uh, let me make this very clear if these unclean animals are dead and you touch them you have just made yourself unclean but if you grab a life shrimp and you put them at the end of your hook, and you're fishing with a live shrimp, it's okay. Wow. Don't take scripture out of context. Wow. It says the carcass, if they're dead. Come on, yeah, that's right. Now, that being said, if you're fishing with something that is unclean, and it happens to die, if you take it off the hook, you just became unclean. Why do I say all that? It is better to fish with things that are just clean and stay away from those that are unclean. So you will not be put in the predicament of yeah. having to touch something right. and then make yourself unclean. But key words here, carcass, dead. That's why I said, even though a cat, a dog is considered unclean, not to eat, you are allowed to have them as pets. Just don't eat them. No, it's good. And if they die, don't touch them. I'll give you an example. 
came out of my house yesterday and I noticed the people that cut the grass left this beautiful dead frog um, by the edge of my driveway. I want to know what you do with that. I haven't touched it. It's sitting there. Well, you better get it out of the house. I'm not touching it. It's dead. A frog is considered unclean. So if I would have grabbed that frog and put it in the garbage, I just became unclean. No, get the blower. And put it in the middle of the street. <laughs> if you grab anything that is unclean, you just became unclean. We're going to touch that in a second now. We're going to touch that in a second now. So, again, if it's alive and it's considered unclean, you can touch it. Once it dies, you cannot touch it. You become unclean until evening. So All again, beautiful purses that we buy and they kill alligators and stuff to make. Don't buy an alligator purse. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the snake, you know that they kill it to make. Don't buy an alligator purse. Don't buy a snake skin purse. Don't buy any luck because that is comes from a dead carcass. Walking around with a dead So therefore, basically, you're walking around with a dead, unclean animal. Alright, so the first one is by touching. The second one is by carrying, verse 25. Whoever carries any part of their carcasses is to wash. Pay attention now to the question you just had. Whoever carries any part of their carcasses is to wash his clothes and will be unclean until the evening. So in other words, if you were to grab, for example, that um, frog that I was talking about, which is dead, it's unclean. I put a pair of gloves, whatever it is, and I go grab that frog. That frog, which is unclean, be makes that glove unclean. And that glove, which is on my hand, now touched my hand, makes me unclean. It's very technical, but we have to read into it. Okay, we just can't take it out of context. The frog is a dead carcass. It's an unclean animal. Therefore, it makes the glove, whether it's a silicone glove, whether it's a cloth glove, whatever it may be, because there's a, a little bit more description when we go down in other verses where it says sackcloth and a bunch of other things it describes there. If you grab it, it makes that glove unclean. Well, that glove is not floating in your hand. That glove is fitted to your hand. So therefore, now it's touching your skin. Therefore, it makes you unclean until evening. Break that down in a little bit why I say that. So, whether touching or you just happen to carry this dead carcass from one place to the other, like I wanted to grab this frog and just kind of put it in the garbage, I don't like it to see it in front of my lawn, it would have made me unclean. So, it's sitting there and I'm hoping a, a bird comes and eats it. Yeah. Another bird that is unclean that would like to eat dead animals. So the first one was touching, the second one was carrying. The third one was if anything unclean fell into a pot of food or any cooking vessel, it needed to either be washed or broken. It said there that it needed to be put under water or that vessel needed to be broken, done away with. Anything that is unclean fell into a vessel, a pot that you're cooking with. You mistakenly were cooking chicken and you just happened to throw in a couple of pork fat. Mm. That pot just became unclean. Not only the pot became unclean, all the substance that's in that pot 
became unclean, not suitable for eating. Get rid of it, get rid of the pot. Do we see this a bit extreme? Or do we consider it hygienic? I consider it hygienic because if something unclean were to fall into a pot of food that I'm making, I am not going to continue to cook with that pot. I'm going to get rid of everything, wash it really good, and start all over again. That's what putting it under water means, by the way. Washing it. <laughs> it's not just putting water in the pot and just continue with it and start all over again. No, you got to wash it. Mm -hmm. she was from. I remember. Mm -hmm. she, was Pakistan. she was Pakistan. And they don't eat any meat, nothing it, at all. And I remember that when I would get like a chicken salad, like a chicken Caesar salad, and she was hungry, and I, I'd be like, oh, you have half of my salad. She'll be like, no, because it has chicken. I go, I'll take the chicken out. She goes, no, it touched this. The chicken That's... already touched the leaf. I can't eat it. It's already touched. It's, it's, it's already it's considered wrong. contaminated. Notice what it said there. Do not contaminate yourselves. Mm -hmm. If it already touched it, it's already considered contaminated. Mm -hmm. It's already considered unclean. One thing to notice in these verses is that something unclean can not only be transferred to a person, but also to an article. Okay? We see that unclean can not only be transferred to a person, but also uncleanness can also be transferred to an article, yes. Yes. a piece of clothing, yeah. a pot, a vessel, something. That's an article. Uncleanness can also be transferred to that if an unclean animal is cooked in it or happens to fall. If you're cooking in the kitchen and you turn around and you turn back around and there's a rat sitting in the pot, oh, it's unclean. <laughs> but don't touch the rot. Because the rat is already being cooked, so therefore the rat is unclean, and if you touch the rat, you also become unclean. But the beauty of this is that Scripture says that through all of this, we are unclean until evening. But before I get into that, Again, one thing to notice is that something can be unclean and it can be transferred from person to person or person to an animal, but it can also be transferred into an article, pots, everything, even clothing. That being said, women do not use as an excuse to change your wardrobes. <laughs> There's a rat in my closet. I need to change all my wardrobe. That's why I studied and I brought that up because I knew where the mind of my wife was going. I love you, Lord. Thank you. So that's why I made sure as of last week I hired I hired a company to come and pretty much fumigate my house for anything that crawls or creeps in my house or touches anything in my house that is unclean. So my wife will not use the excuse of, you see, we have unclean animals in the house. I have to change my pots. I have to change my clothing. I have to change my shoes. I have to change my purses. I'm gonna open the door and 
welcome them in. <laughs> they will not come in because they're dead. <laughs> the only things that come into my house are crickets. <laughs> and crickets are clean. <laughs> no, but you know how it's interesting when even when you buy used furniture. Yeah. You have to be. You have to. You have to be careful. You have to pray because you don't know yeah. what. Again, this, that's a very sensitive topic because is, yeah. since you don't know where it came from, that's right, yeah. at that moment in time, you cannot be held liable for those consequences. You just got to pray, pray and ask the Lord to mm-hmm. you know, give you some clarity before you even buy the item. Don't just go buy the item. Or if right? they give it to you. Whatever. Or if they give it to you, whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. very key. If it's an unclean animal, but it's alive, you can touch it. But if it's an unclean animal and it's dead, don't touch it. Okay? See the difference between the two? Yes. Now again, we notice that these animals that we've mentioned, the birds and everything, we've seen that they're an abomination to God. They are detestable to God. But time and time again, we see that there's something very crucial that is said here in this part of Scripture. It says until evening it almost gives you a time frame of the length that you will be unclean why until evening simply because the torah teaches that evening is the end and the beginning of a new day when does shabbat begin evening friday sundown when does shabbat end evening saturday sundown Yeshua resurrected in Saturday evening. Saturday evening, around like in the, la madrugada. Be, no, in, la madrugada. in the evening part. It was during Shabbat. It was after Shabbat. Because right, sorry. It was after Shabbat into Sunday. Right. It was the beginning of a new day, and that was the mixture of the three days and the three yeah. nights that people get confused. Yeah. So. That is the reason why here in scripture we see that God says you will be unclean until evening. Because as of evening, a new day dawns. So therefore now you're not considered unclean already for the next day. Your uncleanness ends at that evening. One last point and I'll finish with this. That we can take from all this. And this is so important. And this blew my mind as I was reading and studying this part. Actually the whole chapter 11. Because I went back and forth reading it again. One last point that we can take from all this. That death. Because this is what we've been talking about from this last section. Death itself is unclean in the eyes of God. Please don't miss this. Pay attention. Death itself is unclean in the eyes of God. When God created the heavens and the earth and created Adam and Eve, the intentions of Adam and Eve were to live forever in the presence of God. They themselves did not know they were even naked in the presence of God. When did they learn that they were naked in the presence of God? When they sinned. The second they sin, what happened? Death. 
came into the world. Wow. So death itself is unclean to God because in the realm of God, death does not exist. Come on. Wow. It was never supposed to exist. When God created everything and gave Adam and Eve everything to, to, to eat and gave them instructions of what to eat and what to stay away from in the Garden of Eden, they were supposed to live happily ever after and those that will come after them were supposed to live happily ever after. So death itself is looked at as unclean because death itself reminds God of sin. So death does not exist in the realm of God. It is unclean. It is detestable. It is an abomination to God. But even though all of us here at one point will experience death, because it's inevitable for all of those that have accepted Yeshua as their Lord and Savior and have aligned ourselves to the best of our ability to the Torah, I have great news. And it's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. And I'll end with this. Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. And I've proven in scripture how mm -hmm. in the realm of God, death is a detestable thing. Mm -hmm. Says Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 8 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men, and he shall tabernacle among them. Amen. They shall be his people, and God himself, please don't miss this, and God himself shall be among them and be their God. In other words, what happened at the beginning when God was among Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, it is exactly what's going to happen in the new Jerusalem. God will tabernacle and we will be in his presence. Verse 4, he shall wipe away every tear. Please don't miss this. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There it tells you that death does not exist in the realm of God. It is an abomination. It is a detestable thing. Because death itself reminds God of sin. So it cannot be in his presence. You'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No shall there be any mourning or crying or pain any longer. For the former things have passed away. And the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Then he said, Right, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty, I will freely give from the spring of water of life. The one who overcomes shall inherit these things. The one who overcomes will be the one that inherit these things that I just mentioned. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But for the cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexual immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their lot is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice in the last book of the Bible that nobody likes to read, and almost the second to last chapter in that book, God clearly says and ends with saying that death shall be no more, and the things that are detestable will experience their lot in the lake of fire and brimstone. All those things that are unclean, all those people that Second Peter spoke about, all those people, their lot, in other words, their place will be in the lake of fire and brimstone because death and the things that are detestable do not exist in the presence and the realm of God. That's why when Yeshua died, he could not remain there because it wasn't part of who he was. It wasn't just about the resurrection. It was a bigger picture. Death itself is an abomination, is a detestable thing to God. So even though he experienced, he went through it, he couldn't stay there. Amen. That's why you and I will not stay there. Eventually, when the new Jerusalem comes, we will be there and live with God through eternity in a new body. Those former things have passed away. Though death and all those abominations, all those detestable things have passed away and they will be no more. Very well be. Wow. Could very well be because at that moment when Yeshua said, was experiencing death, it was Yeshua looks up at the Father and says, Why have thou forsaken me? Wow. And it could be that when God was looking at death itself, what was it reminding him of? Sin. Which was who was carrying it? Yeshua on the cross. He carried the sin. So when God saw death, he saw sin. He couldn't look at right it. Right there in that moment, sin and death were together. He couldn't look at it. Wow. Him. Amen. So we see in Revelation that those things will be no more. But death does not exist in the realm of God. It was never supposed to. It's an abomination and a detestable thing to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and step.